All right, and because three is a crowd, we're back. New year. New year. New podcast. 2018. This is the official start of season two. Kelly, we're back in the bunker. We can't escape the bunker. Bunker vibes are a little different. <laughs> Got a big wall surrounding us. Pretty cool. How was your uh, How was your 2017 break? We took about a month off. We came back for Christmas. We came back for New Year's. H- how was that? How was that month? It was nice. <laughs> it was a little too nice, I think. Yeah, I think that this episode will be testament to what taking time off does to a person, and that is forgetting the format of your show, forgetting how to do it, forgetting to listen to music, forgetting lots of things. Yeah, we we felt like we were going to be so prepared for this. <laughs> turns out, and it turns out, <laughs> you know, old habits are hard to hard to throw away. So 2018 is starting kind of the same way as 2017, which is fine because I mean you can't devote every moment to a show. What is this show, Kelly? Well, this is Sign on the Window. It's a Bob Dylan podcast. We pick randomly a Bob Dylan song every week, and then we come back at the end of the week and we talk about it. So every Monday, you're going to get a new episode from us. This is episode 41. We did, We have obviously 40 episodes uh, from season one that you Don't can go back like and 80? binge. There's a lot. There's a lot, <laughs> admittedly. But even, even if you start right here, you're going to be in, in good hands. Um, we've learned a lot from our very first episode. Um, but but circles – what's the saying about circles square, – squares circle themselves? No, that's not a thing. But circles? What's a butt circle? I, that's you just said butt circles and then stopped. So <laughs> I didn't know where you're going. No, it's it's I'm not saying circles square themselves. No, it's something that that doesn't sound wrong. No, it is wrong though. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't have a good. Don't, I'm just gonna ignore all of that. Um, all right, I've been listening to Bob Dylan for. Most of my life, Kelly's heard roughly the same number of songs as the sum of the first six prime numbers. I forgot about this. That's so fun. It's amazing. It's 41, in case you didn't know, because I already spoiled it. Yeah, I almost I forgot. And this week, okay. and for the last month, we've been listening to Bob Dylan's 2012 Pay in Blood. Well, I'm grinding my life out, steady and sure. All right, Kelly, so that was Pain Blood off of 2012's Tempest, Bob Dylan's last. We've listened to Triplicate, but his last official album of, of his own of his own music. So over five years now, Bob. Looking at you, Bob. <laughs> so, Kelly, just right off the bat before we dive into the song, what were your initial feelings? We did listen to this. We weren't listening to it religiously. We did listen to it right at the end of season one. So we have had a longer period of time with it, even though we haven't been like diving into it until this last week but how was how was your entire month but really this last week with pain blood uh it's not my favorite song (laughs) it's fair why i don't like the music the actually the words are fine it's like a a cool little poem and i love his incredibly jarring voice that i was not prepared for in any way 
but I really was into that. I was like, oh, first I was scared, and then I was like, okay. And then you were petrified, and then it was fine. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. Then I changed the locks, and then I felt okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it it just wasn't for me. It it sounded really like, what? How did I describe it? Generic adult rock. That's harsh, and I disagree. I that's fine. The the live version, I will give it to yeah. you. I enjoyed it a lot more. Yeah. Um, because it felt more thematically like a, like a Western kind of twangy fun vibe. And it's because they used acoustic guitar instead mm-hmm. of the uh, the electric for the main riff. Yeah. And that really changed the entire uh, song for me. But okay. So it made it better. Favorite. So you enjoyed that one more than, sure. than the official. I don't hate this song. It just like, yeah. Eh. I think it makes more sense, too, within the concept of the album. And that's happened before where it's like you listen to a whole album and you understand, oh, these songs all kind of flow together. Um but yeah, when you're doing it live, and this, the version we listened to was from 2017. I think it was in Sweden, right? When he was accepting his Nobel Prize. Not a Basically everything from 1980-ish on, it's hard to track exactly where Dylan was recording these because he's doing this from his house you know that's how people record now they don't have to go to a studio and log the records you know because they're not sharing space or whatever so this was actually recorded between january and march of 2012 at jackson brown's groove master studios in santa monica so the album's title uh initially spurred rumors that this would be dylan's final album uh based on the similarity of shakespeare's last play which is the tempest but bob sets the record straight in fact let's we got bob in the studio bob you're back shakespeare's last play was called it wasn't called just plain tempest the name of my record is just plain it's two different titles (laughs) he's saying the difference is all in the the it's all in the the Mm -hmm. basically pain blood uh, was part of uh, rolling stone's top 50 songs of 2012 it was number nine and they said uh, number nine number nine quote in one of his most vivacious songs ever, Dylan conjures a demonic figure, military brass, politician, CEO, pick your poison, while guitars glint like a switchblade. Love it. Love it. And the dude is still rocking the song. He's played it 362 times from November 13th, 2012 to as late as November 22nd, 2017. So just months ago, this number will certainly rise. Some of them I'm almost confident we'll never see again or maybe like one or two more. So we're going to be on the mark. But this one, I I could see this getting up to the 400s easily because Bob Dylan is not living in a vacuum. Let's talk about his influences. Before we do that, though, there was one thing influencing you this week. There was. If and I'm really excited to hear about it. Yeah. So I try to find an image for my little booklet that I make with the lyrics and so I can make my notes every week. And this song, which helps the war narrative when i searched for a copyright free image was nothing but soldiers for like 200 images like different different war different like just soldiers and then i found a wonderful sketch portrait of a man named cl blood not seal blood no that's a different thing cl blood charles seal blood (laughs) charles lewis 
Blood, born in 1835 and died in 1908, 73 years of age. It's life. It's life. So he claimed to be the son of a physician, Louis Blood. He was not. He was actually the son of a farmer <laughs> slash timber dealer slash contractor and just generally well-to-do guy in a place called Ayer, Massachusetts, which is now called something else, but I forgot to write that down. There's no evidence that C.L. Blood ever obtained a medical degree, although he would style himself as Dr. C.L. Blood or C.L. Blood, M.D. Back then, if I feel like you could just do whatever you want. You absolutely could. You absolutely could. Just like, prove it. Prove it I'm not a doctor. Prove it. He moved to Boston in 1865 and set up an office at the old Congressional Library Building on Chelsea Street. He took out a full page or took out multiple full page ads in newspapers and distributed his own little flyers advertising his business of what you might say because he's not actually a doctor but you know for his services of being a doctor maybe he developed an interest in nitrous oxide and Mm. figured out how to make it himself and then began selling it as a cure for various respiratory illnesses and he called it oxygenated air (laughs) should call it nos then he would have been way above the time centuries ahead so he does this for a while sells his oxygenated air uh, for cures, not not cures, because it's just nitrous and all it does is get you high. Uh, for the various respiratory illnesses, uh, he moves to nicer digs in Boston and really puts the effort out to say, like, I'm good. I am successful. I know things. But enter actual doctor and rival <laughs> Jerome Harris. Uh, his, he also had an interest in nitrous oxide, but his was called super oxygenated air. And he was doing good business. And, you know, like, uh, he is a super in the world. So, you know, it's better until one day this guy, Carvel, I think it's his last name. He came into Dr. Harris, our rival, because we're on team team Dr. Blood. Carvel comes into his office and he gets receives treatment with a super oxygenated air. Super oxygenated air. Just every time I read it, I was like, okay. Uh, he starts foaming at the mouth and having convulsions. Oh, no. And he's like, so he goes to his regular physician, quote unquote, Dr. Blood, uh. receives the regular oxygenated air treatment <laughs> and does nothing but improve. He gets oh. better. And of course he does. So Blood takes this opportunity to tell all the newspapers and anyone that'll listen, like, that guy over there, that super oxygenated air is garbage and it's poison. It's poison, I fucking tell you. Listen. So Harris. Nobody believes him anymore. Super oxygenated oh. air. Clearly it's not real. Mr. Harris, you mean. No doctor. longer a doctor. <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, so everybody's going to blood because his regular oxygenated air is what he's he hears. That's what he did. He's clearly a doctor and his name is blood. That that was part of it. Carvel brought, tried to bring suit against Dr. Harris. And Harris was like, I want to settle. I want to settle. And his attorney's like, don't fucking do that. Do we know but, if Carvel was in on it with blood? Was that a thing? That was never specifically stated. Because that's immediately what I think. I think that too. And I'm sure that's actually what happened. And then 1884, let's get into some blackmail. Tried to blackmail a musician named Ernest Weber. <sighs> Poor musician. By, he was dating this girl. I forgot to write her name. Nanette something. Uh, and he was like, hey, I don't like this Ernest Weber guy. So why don't you, girlfriend, this is blood talking, sign a little affidavit saying that this Ernest Weber guy, who you've never really actually met or hung out with, he uh, promised, oh, this is a great quote, ruined her under promise of marriage, which I can only mean, uh, assume means that he had sex with her. Yes. <laughs> ruined, ruined her. her. Oh, God. Under promise of marriage uh. and forced her to get an abortion that nearly killed her. So she's, she's fine this. I don't know why she would believe this fucking crazy curly headed 
monster dude, he had one of his homies go to Ernest and say, hey, man, with a lawyer with him. And it was like, hey, we have this piece of paper from this lady saying that you do these things. Uh, and if you don't give us $4,000, which, by the way, is over $100,000 today. Oh, my God. Uh, Musicians were, were making money. I guess. You're going to go. I don't know. See, that's the whole thing. It's like, did he even have this money? Why are you blackmailing well, this one rando guy? Poor Ernest. <laughs> so much He's money. It's Ernie- like someone coming up today and being like, yeah, pay me a million dollars. No. Yeah. What are we going to do? No. Yeah. But mama didn't raise no fool. No. So when Blood's friend came to Ernest with this affidavit, blackmailing him, Ernie was like, fuck this. I'm going to the cops. And the cops were like, yeah, this is bogus. And went Amazing. to go after uh blood he was didn't oh him and his uh crony served a little bit of time for that one Mm. he's been in and out of jail multiple times throughout his life has he lost the doctor part no maintain that shit (laughs) because no one can prove it because it's the 1800s and no one really cares got in trouble for tax evasion and fraud as you do he would take money from his investors because people when he takes out these ads and he was pretending he was this high roller people would invest in his Mm. magical oxygen and air so he would take out money and then never pay them back because that's what you do. Specifically, this one poor guy, he invested $4,500. Again, $113,000 oh. a day and never paid him back. Cummings, this guy, was his name that invested the, mo- the most. He died shortly thereafter after being ripped off because he just like died as a bangless popper because he invested all this oh. money. That's really sad. C.L. Blood also authored a book, which has the longest title ever, but I only wrote the like the little snippet title, A Century of Life, Health, and happiness. And he would charge distributors for, like, I will give you the copy of the book, you give me the money up front, mm. never give them the books. So that was part of the fraud charges, too. This guy, class act. But the best, the piece de resistance, or however the fuck you say that, in 1890, he was implicated in the murder of Hiram Sawtell. Hiram's brother Isaac had met blood in prison. Isaac was there for rape, as you see. While he was in prison, I'm assuming their father died, Hiram got the money. And Isaac comes out of prison, and he's like, I want that money. I want that money. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I met this fucking shisty guy, CL Blood in prison. <laughs> CL Blood. And this other guy, yeah. name CL Blood, got it. <laughs> That's all I need to know. So I bet he would help me do some shady shit. Yeah. Turns out, yeah, he was right. <laughs> he's into it. So they, they have a plot to kidnap Hiram's daughter, and they're going to lure him out into the woods saying, we've got Jessica, or whatever her name is. We've got Jessica, and uh, if you don't come to the woods, we're going to throw her kill Throw as you do with Jessica's. Throw him in the wall. In the wall. <laughs> so they come out. Hiram comes out to the woods to come get his daughter, probably Jessica. Uh, and she's not there. But CL Blood and Jack are there. And they're like, hey, you're going to sign this piece of paper saying you're giving all this money to Isaac. And if you don't, we're going to kill you. And well, or we're going to kill Jessica. Right. We don't no. want to throw her in the wall. No. Uh, but something goes horribly wrong. And Hiram ends up with four bullet wounds, naked, decapitated and partially dismembered. <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> it was supposed to just be a little extortion blackmail thing. It ended in murder. Straight murder. So 11 days after this event, they find Hiram's body in New Hampshire somewhere. It wasn't in New Hampshire where they killed him, but I don't remember. Anyway, they drug his yeah. body to New Hampshire. And uh, the police immediately arrested Isaac. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's his brother. And they knew they wanted the money from him. And He's probably Isaac... like smoking dollar bills at that point. <laughs> Clearly. And Isaac said, hey, CL Blood did this. Of course. Uh, but he was, Damn it, CL. He almost got out of this. <laughs> but he was never charged because uh, Isaac was a, not the best person. And he later recanted that saying, no, I did it. I shot him. Uh, and then right before he was executed, he actually died before he was executed. But right before he died, he was like, no, it was CL Blood. But, so never one really knows if it was CL Blood and Jack. But it probably was. There was a hotelier 
who mm-hmm. a guy who runs a hotel where CL Blood was staying, coincidentally, right before and after the murder, like he would, wasn't there before, showed up when the murder happened, left right after the murder, mm. and the hotelier say he came in with two packages suspiciously one evening, one that would hold clothes that was wrapped. Like, how do you know if it's holding clothes if it's in a gift wrap thing? Anyway, there was a gift wrapped item that he assumed was clothes and a second package that CL Blood was carrying into the hotel that was head shaped, quote unquote, <laughs> and covered in a newspaper. So. CL Blood. Affable. My favorite thing about CL Blood is people described him as vain but affable, and he was a well-dressed masher, which is another word for dandy. And what he would do when he wasn't servicing his clients in his office was loiter on the corner underneath his office and hand out business cards and just hang out. He would just like be well-dressed and vain and hang out his own business cards with his picture on it. So, CL Blood. <laughs> there you go. Had no hobbies. <laughs> no, that's amazing. That He's fraud? hustling twenty four seven. That's right. That's how he got into these scenarios. He was so, he's trying to go big. I mean, I think this relates to this song <laughs> in so many ways. I can't even count them. I need Nas. I need Nas. No, my car topped out at one hundred forty miles per hour this morning. Amateurs don't use nitrous oxide. I've seen the way you drive. You got a heavy foot. You'll blow yourself to pieces. I need one of these. One of the big ones. But actually, you know, let's make it two. And Ari, I need it by tonight. So that was one influence, for sure. Um, clearly, Bob had CL blood on his mind. On the mind. But a couple of other influences before we even start. So we're going to go deep into the lyrics and deep into what we think we're talking about. But before we do, I think it's worth... Noting and sort of clearing up some of the air, uh, there's a lot of weird references in here that have been really guessed wrong. And I'm really well, almost 100% sure on pretty much where we're going here. So I just want to do some of the, the easy references right off the bat um, for the people out there that are maybe coming to the song and kind of want to know. Because I think that's the interesting thing about Bob Dylan, especially late Bob Dylan. So there's a, there's a line in um, an epic poem play sort of thing by Ovid. So again, this is like thousands of years ago uh the poems of exile tristina and the black sea letters where tristina in in the book um says quote but my fate shaken by adverse gales there could be nothing more wretched than when i endure there's also a line later on earlier in the play that says uh quote then strip me maximus of my useless hopes they strip your useless hopes away yeah uh there's a line that says hear me holler and hear me moan which I think some people rightly uh, said was a song by Willie Dixon called A Kate Quit Your Baby. that that one checks out and then i came to bury not to praise is very famous and that's what mark antony says about julius caesar in julius caesar friends romans countrymen 
Lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often tarred with their bones. So let it be with Caesar. Okay, so that's it for the easy references. I'm actually going to save the hard ones for after we talk about the song. So Kelly, let's talk about Pain Blood. Someone must have slipped a drug into wine. You got to down and you cross the line. Man can't live by red alone. I pain blood, but not my own. So as for the song itself, so do you think that you would have enjoyed his voice if this was episode one, season one? Take yourself back to even honest with me, that was a decade, over a decade, um, change in in voice, uh, and there was four albums buttressing uh, these ones. So do you, what do you think your mind would have gone to? But what would you have thought back then? Do you, could you even like think about that? Honest with me, I always forget was ninety seven. Right? Whatever. 2001. 2001. Wow. Okay. So unsurprisingly, his voice is not a ton different. It is different, but it's very different from 1960s Bob Dylan. Yeah. So uh, I, I feel, this song, I don't know if I would have, I would have been alarmed, I think, just as much. Uh, well, right off the bat, I would have yeah. been alarmed too. Because the music is very like soft and gentle. And then it's like. Boom, that voice. Okay. But I don't think his voice would have put me off. The song itself might have, but mm-hmm. like, I don't think his voice would have. Uh, I think he sounds like a villain. I think, well, and we'll get to more on that. Yeah, I but think like, that it's on purpose. I, and, that, and actually, that's what I put. I was like, is this intentional? Because yeah. he's really hammering some stuff. Like, he's, it doesn't sound like, because mm-hmm. listening to uh, Triplicate, he's in full crooner. Like, his voice does mm-hmm. not sound like this song, which was before yeah. Triplicate. So. I was like, that's got to be a choice, yeah. uh, an intentional choice. But then I also mused about, do old guys just have this happen to them? Like, does this just become their voice at some point? Like, Leonard Cohen's voice, like, got even oh, more intense uh, as he aged. So maybe that's just what happens. I think so. I, but even just knowing Tempest, it this is his most intense performance. Okay. I mean, that's why it was number nine of a Rolling Stone. I mean, nothing was topping that. There's a reason why this is the best. And I think it's because... This really is a standout track, not only vocally, but also just like the way he's playing with his words. He's doing that Dylan thing. For me, this is the best song on Tempest. So, Kelly, importantly, what is this song about? I have no idea. I mean, like, I was, it feels like it transitions. The very first verse and chorus sounds really personal, right? It sounds like he's talking specifically about being jilted by a specific person yeah like there's things he says things like it's don't do the death for the wrongs that you've done that could be generic too but it seems like him like i'm gonna come after you because yeah. you what this one person did it but as the song goes on it's like about the system it right going, yeah it starts moving it's about the government or about the military well, or and about, he says you know another politician right so it feels like it gets uh more macro as the song goes on like mm-hmm. it starts off fuck this guy for sliding me and then turns into fuck the politicians for doing this to me and then it turns into like a war thing some people think yeah some people say that this is like masters of war which is one of his more famous songs about war and it was 1963 so that was on his first record my my thoughts now are so evergreen because like this came out in september of 2012 the presidential election was still going on 
between Barack Obama and Mitt Romney, mm-hmm. 2012. Knowing what we know what now, time. what an evergreen time, what a wonderful <laughs> time to be alive. Um, we were living in a different world. I mean, there's just no other way around it. It's a different world uh, that this existed in versus where we are now. So the world, though, that existed there was like post-crash 2008. Occupy had just started the year before. Like what he's saying about politics, I that that's really where my, my mind was always completely with. Like you said, it's like it starts out kind of personal, but it's almost making the macro personal because that makes a better song. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes it like a the same way with Masters of War. He's talking about at the very end of it, wanting to see. I watch while you lord down to your deathbed. And I stand over your grave till I'm sure that you're dead. It's it's not a, a singular person, but it's the idea of militarism and the idea of, you know, war itself as a human, as a person that can die and we can put it down in the grave. And so I, I always saw it as something like that, like we're humanizing a concept. Before we get into what I, to the theory that not only do I buy, but I'm like putting all of my money on every single dollar that I have. I want to talk about what the internet thinks it is. We haven't done this since like ring them bells <laughs> nice. um, because the internet has got some crazy ideas. So I want you to tell me what you think about some of these. A lot of people begin where we just began, which is this song is introspective. But then some people are like, but it's of course about touring. What is the Southern zone? Right? What is, what is the Southern zone? It can only be anything. It's got to be the South. It's got to be touring. Oh, I thought it was hell. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and then, of course, it goes to politics. And, oh, you know, war is now, you know, currency, blood is money. People weirdly saw this as a protest against Barack Obama. Again, this is all 2012 wow. time. So the line about proving where your father was because Obama was ill. When I saw the word illegitimate, I, that word is really gross. Yeah, it is. Like, it, it's the same thing with illegal. It's like no one's illegitimate. No one's illegal. People can't be illegal. It sucks that we are still using those words, which yeah. is crazy. Um, or that he, somebody, this is quote unquote, or that he reversed his morals and rules the nation. Uh, or you, and you've been accused of murder because some people think Obama kills people just like Hillary Clinton did. Um, but then after that, it's all normal. Like they don't have anything. It Then it descends to the same level of, well, but then there's other stuff in the, I don't know what any of that means. But here's the three things that I want to say right now because fuck Obama. Right, exactly. Thanks, Obama. Here's Bob Dylan, who (laughs) is your friend, played shows for you, and got a presidential medal of freedom from him. Yeah, he hates hates Barack Obama. Sounds right. Sounds right. Bob Dylan started out singing other people's songs, but as he says, there came a point where I had to write what I wanted to say because what I wanted to say, nobody else was writing. So born in Hibbing, Minnesota... Uh, a town, he says, where you couldn't be a rebel, it was too cold. <laughs> Bob moved to New York at age 19. By the time he was 23, uh, Bob's voice, uh, with its weight, its, its unique gravelly power, was redefining not just what music sounded like, but uh, the message it carried and how it made people feel. Uh, today, everybody from Bruce Springsteen to you 2 uh, owes Bob a debt of gratitude. Uh, there is not a, a bigger giant uh, in the history of uh, American music. Uh, all these years later, uh, he's still chasing that sound, uh, still searching for a little bit of truth. And uh, I have to say that I am a really big fan. Uh, and because the lyrics are different everywhere, this leads to confusion, which 
BobDylan.com does not help us. Nope. Nope. So, <laughs> so I think confusion is also like part of it. God, Bob is, it's so much fun that, I mean, that's not his fault that the website's jacked up on this song, but it's great that it is because it leads to confusion. So some people think the Southern zone, which it definitely is Southern zone, uh, is the suffering zone. Uh, there's a line that says, um, you pet your lover in your bed. It's actually, you bit your lover. Yeah. And that's actually in the lyrics. I always thought it was pet, like because oh. it sounds like pet, but it's actually bit. But some guy thought it was you bitchy lover in your bed. And worse, when uh, the, one of the first lines, I'm drenched in the light that shines from the sun, sun or sun. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, literally Jesus. Oh, literally Jesus. <laughs> and this one's up there again for Ring Them Bells because 40 years of religious imagery and we got a whole bootleg series, people. He is not coy about his religious beliefs. Of course there are illusions, but there's illusions because that's what this culture is sort of built on. These these biblical concepts are the same thing as Shakespeare. We're building on the stories of the past, and we're making them something new. Before we get into what I truly believe this song is about, I want to take us back a little bit to episode one. If you, I know, and I didn't realize it was going to do this. Well, and I'm already psyched for season three, episode one. What are we going to get? Because <laughs> right now we're just doing that circle thing. Or the circle squaring itself. I don't know what the circle's the doing. The butt circles? The butt circles. <laughs> Something's happening here. And you don't know what it is, do you, Mr. Jones? Sorry. In episode one, we spent so much time dissecting what was going on. And if you remember, we went deep into the Civil War. We went deep into oh, yeah. American imperialism and the story of this guy going across the continent, sort of starting, he was in the war, he lost for the South, and then he moved West. This song, this can confirm for you, Kelly, everything that Bob Dylan does is about the Civil War. Oh, geez. Hear me out. In 2012, Rolling Stone, as they always do whenever Dylan's dropping something, they have a huge interview. And they're famous for their long form interviews they got into it and they were talking about the civil war it showed up in his work before he wrote a song for gods and generals the like four hour movie about the civil war so the civil war and bob dylan are not not friends you know what i mean rolling stone asked do you see any parallels between the 1860s and present day america again this was 2012 and i think this rings even more today than it did in 2012 even though we had a black man running for re-election for president it's like it's even worse now oh yeah um and this was bob's answer and i'm gonna read it in full in light bob dylan voice Mm, i don't know how to put it it's like the united states burned and destroyed itself for the sake of slavery the u.s wouldn't give it up it had to be grinded out grinded my Life out. Yeah. The whole system had to be ripped out with force. A lot of killing. What, like 500,000 people? More like 650,000. A lot of destruction to end slavery. That's what this is all about. This country is just too fucked up about color. It's a distraction. People at each other's throats just because they're a different color. It's the height of insanity, and it will hold any nation back, or any neighborhood back, or any anything back. Blacks know that some whites didn't want to give up slavery, that if they had it their way, they would still be under the yoke and they can't pretend that they don't know that if you got a slave master or a clan in your hood blacks can sense that that stuff lingers today it's doubtful that america's ever going to rid itself of the stigmatization it's a country founded on the backs of slaves you know what i mean 
because it goes way back. It's a root cause. If slavery had been given up in a more peaceful way, America would be far ahead today. Whoever invented the idea of the lost cause, there's nothing heroic about any lost cause. No such thing, though there are people that still believe that. So the song itself, for me, is all about slavery. It's all about a slave talking to the master and the master responding back to the slave. Hmm. History is a funny thing, isn't it? History can be changed. Everybody changes the past in their own way. It's habitual, you know? We always see things the way they really weren't. Or we see them the way we want to see them. We can't change the present or the future. We can only change the past. And we do it all the time. I think the musical shifts are what give, give the whole game away. Which is, when you start listening to it, I know it's hard when he comes in with grinding my life hat <laughs> steady and sharp you know like, but that voice is more angelic than when he starts singing about taking your eyeballs out because there's like a menace there and that piano those minor keys mm-hmm. get underneath the skin of that that's the slave owner that's the slaver talking to the slave which then when everything winds back around it's a really nice kind of dulcet tone i mean those four bars you know talking with the first, you know, the first four verses of the of each segment are kind of nice, and then it goes into those, mm-hmm. dun, 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 which is so wonderful to listen to, like the adult contemporary, whatever we're trying to say. I love it. It sounds so great. All everything's working so well. It's so beautiful. But then, if you put the words on top of it, it starts getting kind of crazy. So let's look at the song, Kelly. We've both got a lyrics in front of us. Sure do. I'll start with verse one, and we'll just kind of go through. You're a little skeptical, but. Let's see what we got. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just completely off my rocker here. Who knows? Well, I'm grinding my life out. (laughs) Steady and sure. (laughs) Nothing more wretched than what I must endure. I'm drenched in the light that shines from the sun. I could stone you to death for the wrongs that you've done. Then we hit those minor keys. So that's, that's someone saying something. Now we're flipping the script. This is someone else. Sooner or later, you make a mistake. I'll put you in a chain that you'll never break. Legs and arms and body and bone. I pay in blood but not my own. I pay in your blood, my friend, not my blood. Night after night, day after day, they strip your useless hopes away. The more I take, the more I give, the more I die, the more I live. Constantly, this, this, this tone from this person on the first end of these verses understands the score. Like They understand the world that they're in, and they're doing their best. And in this, in this narrative, we see them leave. We see them escape. We see the slave driver coming after them. In this case right here, this is just kind of generic, you know, we're talking. And then we got the slave driver coming back in. I got something in my pocket that'll make your eyeball swim. My, I got my dogs that can tear you limb from limb. And then I'm circling around the southern zone. I pay in blood, but not my own. We'll get back to the southern zone in a moment. Then I think that this, this, this line right here, this verse, is not in BobDylan.com. Uh, low cards are all that I've got. I'll mm-hmm. play this hand no matter if I like it or not. I'm sworn to uphold the laws of God. You could put me out in front of a firing squad. So did you find this online or did you I, I write did, it down? I, I found it online. Yeah. I, so I wrote it down oh, yeah. because I was just listening to the song and I was like, oh, this is this is not the same. No. So I, when it says I, I'm sworn to uphold the, the laws of God, I was like, does he say lies? Mm. Because I was like, Twist. Now you're doing it the opposite way. <laughs> Everything's not about religion at all. <laughs> yeah. I like it. That's good. Then we reverse it. I've been out and around with the rowdy men, just like you, my handsome friend. My head is so hard, must be made of stone. I pay in blood, but not my own. We're going to get to uh, that part, too. My head is so hard, must be made of stone. I think that's probably the only biblical reference that I think 
make sense in this narrative of the song. Then I think I agree with the narrative here, and I'm I'm picking this all up from uh, a website called AllDylan.com. You know, it's a short article, and it's got a couple of a couple of uh, you know plots basically for us to kind of draw on. And I like his interpretation here because once you start going, if you told me what this was about, this makes a lot of sense. But what can you do with a couple of these verses where it's not really the narrative? And this one in particular, when he when when they're talking about another politician pumping out the piss. AllDylan.com says that this is not the slave or the master. It is Bob Dylan. Like this is the commentary almost on top of it Mm -hmm. because it doesn't kind of follow the same way. It doesn't have – I mean even though it has the same minor tones and stuff, it's it's not like two people talking to one another. So another politician pumping out the piss, another ragged beggar blowing you a kiss. Uh, You got the same eyes as your mother does. If only you could prove who your father was. Now, people thought that was about Obama, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but that's probably the darkest line, I think. of If we're in the slave narrative world, that's probably the darkest line of the entire thing. Um, and then I think he goes off a little bit. Someone slipped this drug in your wine. You gulped it down when you crossed the line. Man can't live by bread alone. I pay him blood, but not my own. I also thought here about Jesus, as you do. <laughs> I think if you're a Christian observer and you see the word in this stanza alone, Wine, blood, bread, crossed, (laughs) which is like almost cross. You just go, I mean, you just, that's all you look for. You know what I mean? And there's nothing to do with one another, but man, you are going to ride that train to to the end of the world. Uh, That slow train. Coming. (laughs) How I made it back home, nobody knows, or how I survived so many blows. I've been through hell. What good did it do? You bastard. I'm supposed to respect you? When he plays this live, he's been known to change that line to, my conscience is clear. What about you? Then I'll give you justice. I'll fatten your purse. Show me your moral virtues first. Hear me holler. Hear me moan. I pay him blood, but not my own. And then at the very end, so you pet your lover in bed. It is totally bit. And that is, that throws me for a loop. I don't know what that means. You bit your lover? You're just biting people? Well, I put abuse question mark. That's a weird one. Like you bit your I mean, you're talking about them biting their lover. That's some intimacy. I don't know. I don't know how you know he's biting people. I don't know. Anyway, so you bit your lover in bed. Come here. I'll break your lousy head. And that's going to be important for the uh, my head so hard. It's made of stone part. Our nation must be saved and freed. You've been accused of murder. How do you plead? This is how I spend my days. I came to bury, not to praise. I'll drink my fill and I'll sleep alone. I pay in blood, but not my own which is a dark ending like if we're on that narrative right there that's dark the slaver gets the last line yikes what do you think yeah i mean i i think you have to do a little creative ignoring and working around what i mean all i had to ignore was was bit well (laughs) in that whole verse and now we're gonna just Randomly go to Bob Dylan's point of view. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that one doesn't quite work because – but then if we allow for nuances to happen, it it could be that the slaver, again, they're human beings. They're not just one-note evil you know, Nazi in a movie characters. Like they might have other ideas. I mean even if we look at the ones that were supposed to be Bob Dylan, which for some people even put at the very last one, but like you know, you gulped it down across the line. Man can't live by bread alone. I pay in blood, not my own. Like, if that's the slaver saying that, like, that's – I mean, someone must have slipped a drug in your wine is almost responding to 
you know, you got the same eyes that your mother does if only you could prove who your father was. Like, if we're talking about raping somebody, then we have the slaver on the other side saying, no, someone must have slipped a drug in your wine. You came on to me. You did this. Mm. I'm taking advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, if you want to make all of this exactly what it is, I think you could. You gulped it down and you crossed the line, blaming it on them. Man can't live by bread alone. I mean, I man has his urges. Can't live by bread alone. Uh. I pay him blood, but not shit. See, it does work. Yeah. Fuck, we can just take away Bob's point of view. That's dark. Yeah. Man, that's fucking, that's really dark. That's Hollis Brown dark. <laughs> All right, so just before we uh, end the show here, I do want to bring up two common misconceptions, I think, or two buried things that do actually help the idea that this is a sort of slave master narrative type of story. So the first one is the Southern Zone. I think people want to make it the Suffering Zone or whatever it is. It is absolutely the Southern Zone. So um, there's a there's a, a, a poem called Snowbound, A Winter Idol by John Greenliff Whittier, who was a Quaker and an abolitionist and a founding member uh, in 1833 of the American Anti-Slavery Society. He, in this poem, he says, quote, All day the gusty north wind bore, the loosening drifts its breath before, low circling round its southern zone, the sun through dazzling snow mist shone. And it's important because this is one of the very first critical poems that was like in literary magazines that were starting to come around that time in the 1830s. Um, James Russell Lowell, um, wrote in the North American Review that this poem emphasized a record of a vanishing era, which now we think 1833, I mean, that's long gone. But even at that time, it's talking about sort of pastoral America, the America of the colonial era that was slowly being replaced by railroads and things like that. It describes scenes and manners which the remote changes of our national habits will soon have made as remote from us as if they were foreign or ancient. And that's people have been thinking about this stuff. I mean, I think about that a lot. I think about the last 20 years. I'm like, the things we're doing now are going to seem so dumb to the people in the future. That has been a universal human thing. And scholar Angela Sorby uh, suggested that the poem focuses on whiteness, the whiteness of the snow and everything. um, And its definition ultimately signaling a vision of a biracial America after the Civil War. So he was a rabid abolitionist, and after the war he focused on his poetry more because he, like a lot of people that were abolitionists, when slavery ended, they thought the job was done, Mm -hmm. and that was woefully incorrect. But I think that builds on, I mean, that's where the Southern Zone thing comes from, from an abolitionist, from a Quaker, from somebody who preaches nonviolence, but was not afraid to speak their mind. So I think that bolsters uh, the idea of you know, this being kind of a slave narrative. The other thing that I find interesting, and this is the only religious one that I think I've ever really gotten down with, is my head is so hard, must be made of stone. And that's from Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 9. Quote, I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are, are a rebellious people. Essentially, Ezekiel was told by the Lord to preach the word of God to the people of Israel. And if he persists, then Ezekiel will be made the watchman by God, whose responsibility will be to warn people of an impending disaster. If they don't listen, the blood is on their hands. But if the watchman fails, the blood is on his hands. Quote, 
and this is later on in the chapter, chapter three, quote, again, when a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before them, they will die. Since you did not warn them, they will die for their sin. The righteous things that person did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and they do not sin, they will surely live because they took warning, and you will have saved yourself. That's Ezekiel 3, 20, verses 20 and 21. But the chapter ends fittingly, I think, and this is sort of that playfulness that Bob Dylan, even a religious Bob Dylan, kind of likes, which is, it ends with, quote, Whoever will listen, let them listen, and whoever will refuse, let them refuse, for they are a rebellious people. And I think that hint of rebellion brings back the rebellion of not only the Confederates, and but also the North and, and against slavery. So it's like playing with all of those all at once, and I fucking love it. And so the Southern Zone is absolutely real. The Ezekiel part is great, too, because even looking back at the lyrics, which we already kind of went over, my head is so hard, it's made of stone. If we accept that Ezekiel thing, so it's basically the the watchman. The, this guy's becoming the watchtower of God. At the very end, come back here, I'll break your lousy head. So it's almost a slave understanding that um, this guy sucks and mm-hmm. that the moral failures lie with the watchman because I'm going to break your lousy head, your head of stone. You, you, you put all of this moral righteousness over you, but in fact, you are the fallible one. You are the one in the wrong, and I'm going to break you. And that's dope as shit. That was really fun. Yeah. I enjoyed Steal All Blood, and I enjoyed uh, seeing the song way differently, radically differently than I had for my entire last you know five years of listening to the song. Yeah. Kelly, did you know that we are a real podcast? I've heard. This time around, it's true. We're, We're actually real. real. We are the realest real. Not the realest real. You've had an amazing time listening to us. That's for sure. I mean, I hope. Mm, they definitely did. <laughs> we are an SOTW pod everywhere. We're back. We had a nice break from Twitter. We had a nice time just kind of taking a little little mental break over the holidays. But we're back. Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook. But we're also in a very special new place, Kelly. Where would that place be? At SOTW pod. Is it Patreon? It's Patreon. So we're opening up the floodgates, people. If you have enjoyed us or even think that we, you know, are doing good and we keep learning, we keep trying our best, we've got we've got a place for you to go. So go there and check it out. See what's there. If you're concerned, if you don't like it, or if you think that there's better options or other things, we're totally open. We've never done anything like this before. We put out over 60 episodes last year total. We're hoping to do around the same, you know, output again, just in a very much more controlled way. But we want to have people have the option to support us if they want to. So obviously all of these episodes are going to remain free, but go over to Patreon to see what other special goodies and stuff like that we have in store for you. So that is your homework right now. Patreon.com slash S-O-T-W pod. All right, Kelly. So we were gone for a month. Basically, yeah. Long month. What other things were you doing this month that warrant our amazing audience's attention? I don't know. We saw Star Wars. And I liked it. Saw Star Wars. Yeah. Um, I just finished a show called Dark. Oh, yeah. On it's Netflix. It's a that, German right? show. It's really good. I would say you should not watch Stranger Things season two and watch that instead. I mean, you can still do both. But could do both. I would say Dark is better than that. It's a time travel set in a little village in Germany. <laughs> German, 
It's good. It's cool. Yeah. Kind of like Donnie Darko. Kind of like Stranger Things. We started watching Superstore, which is a little comedy. Oh, it's yeah. Like it's like an NBC half. comedy, yeah, right? it's good. It's a workplace thing. It's set in like a Walmart. Yeah. It's fun. Also, Don Golden and Ryan Hemsworth, both musicians, both do. I'll be on like electronica, but also like Don Golden especially does kind of uh, industrial vibey stuff sometimes. So. I mean, that's it, man. That's what we're here for. Industrial take. to because guess what kelly we're doing mixed up confusion this week <gasps> what? what so if you're interested in anything that kelly just said we will touch on it more on thursday i am going to recommend quite a lot as well so strap in i'm going to go quick we are going to talk about it all on thursday so please uh tune in there i'm going to echo your sentiment i've watched the entirety of black mirror season four it's fantastic we're going to get into it we'll talk a little uh uss callister um, which you have seen. The rest of it we'll, we'll keep. And we'll try to do spoiler-free as much as we can. Uh, Lovesick, the show on Netflix. Oh, yeah. I watched the first two, four, five. Five episodes of that. First oh, gosh. Five of that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's um, it's just one of the best shows that Netflix, like, they didn't make it. But, I mean, just them funding the show and keeping it alive is a beautiful thing. I absolutely love Lovesick. Uh, Music-wise, one artist that I did find, uh, his name is Tyler Childers. Uh, he he released an album called Purgatory. I bring this up not only because I really loved it and it's like a um, sort of country record. Um, it's a, a heartfelt, but also the very first episode of this podcast, I recommended Sturgill Simpson. Yeah, and Sturgill Simpson produced this record. So see, we're we're tying bows here, Kelly. <laughs> we're tying everything together. And New Year's Day surprise, Jeff Rosenstock released. A brand new album. I had no idea he was working on anything called Post. Slash. Post what? Post hardcore? Post power pop? Who knows? Post. Highly recommend it. And I can say definitively it is, so far, album of the year. It's good. It's album of the year. What is a better <laughs> album in 2018 than Post? Yeah, that's a great point. And then for movies really quick, I did watch Star Wars Last Jedi, which we'll get into more. I also watched Moonlight, which won Best Picture last year. And I watched a movie called The Circle, which I would not recommend. I'm also reading a book called Washington, A Life by Ron Chernow, who, if you remember, <laughs> wrote uh, Grant before and uh, inspired the, the movie, the musical Hamilton, with his book, Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton. <laughs> a Life, maybe? I don't know. I don't know if the subtitle is there. Uh, but anyway, so th- those are all of that I'm doing. Kelly, let's go ahead and pick next week's song. So I'm going to go ahead and take off Pan Blood. Wow. It's been so long. I don't even remember doing this. You forgot all about this part. Should I be anxious? I don't even know what number we're even at at this point. 500 and something. 493. Oh, shit. That's right. We got below 500. Mm-hmm. Man, that was a nice little surprise. Mm-hmm. All right, Kelly. One out of 493. Like old times. What do you got? Mm, I wonder how many times I picked the same number. 265. 
Ooh, that's actually kind of close. It was uh, trying to apply bold formatting. Nope. <laughs> that's his Bob Dylan song? What'd you say? 265. I know, right? That's so hard. <laughs> 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 I mean... I mean <laughs> Why not, right? Yeah. I mean, the 60s were a weird time. 265? Yes. Jesus Christ. 225 is the answer. Yeah, yeah not bad. 265, Kelly. We could be going in a different direction than we are. Oh, shit. This would have been our, what, f- I mean, I can't even keep track now, fifth album. We would have got the times they are changing. Oh, I would have liked that. Yeah, that would have been nice. Which Alice <laughs> Brown was song number two on that. And cool. Different world. What garbage did we get instead? This song is actually really great. Um, but it's our second from Under the Red Sky. The same album that has Wiggle Wiggle. The last one we listened to was God Knows. This is a great song, though, a really great song called Born in Time. Could have been on Oh Mercy, was held over, and is actually part of – the better version of it is on the Bootleg Series Volume 8. So we're going to be listening to Born in Time. It's a pretty song. Let's see how religious everyone thinks it is because <laughs> it's going to be up there. Uh, okay, so Born in Time. Uh, it's kind of a heavy hitter. Some people consider this one of his – one of his great, uh, especially 80s, I mean, this came out in 1990, but it was written for Oh Mercy. Some people consider this right up there with some of the ones that Blind Willem McTell that we talk about. So, Born in Time, episode 42. My God, we're moving. 493 songs left, Kelly. It's going to be weird when we get to 100. When we get down to 100? No, when we get to 100 that we've done. Oh. It'll be extra weird when we episode get down 100. to 100. We will see you for Thursday, Mixed Up Confusion. We're going to talk about our recommendations. And then we'll be back on Monday for Born in Time. See you later, Kelly. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead.